Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Today is going to be more a devotional than a sermon, just because I don't think, I don't, it's, I don't know if I could do a, a full sermon. But I do want to talk about something that is incredibly important in the crux of the battle for every believer. Um, and I want to give you some practical tips. Now, if, you, if you've not received sermon notes, I think we do have some back in the printer. We ran out. If you would like sermon notes, raise your hand. Tom's going to go back and get those out of the printer, and you can have it. It might be helpful to follow along today. There's just a lot of practical advice at the end of this. But I want to talk about how to live with more spiritual power. Because there's a way, there's a way to do ministry in your own capacity, your own compa- in your own power that just burns you out. There's a way to do life as a Christian in your own capacity, in your own power that just burns you out. There's a way to like drag yourself out of bed in the morning and try to figure out how to motivate yourself for another day with no power. But part of the joy of being a Christian is that God gives us his spirit who empowers us for life, who makes us equal to the moment, which is something that Alex and I prayed about together this morning, being equal to the moment. So I go on a quarterly retreat. My wife and I both do this. I've talked about this before where I go away for two nights. Kara goes away for two nights on her own. We do this individually, and we spend two nights and three days just praying and seeking God and making sure that we're on track. Is there anything we need to change about our life or about our ministry? Is there anything that you want to say to us? We're just going to be quiet for three days and speak to us. This was a tough one. This is, this is one of the tougher retreats I've ever been on. It was this week. I decided to go camping for the first time for one of my retreats, and I got there. It was just muddy. Poison ivy was everywhere. It was southwest Ohio um, or southwest from here, and it was a slippery walk in. It was a steep walk out. There were ticks everywhere. Uh, my... <laughs> My, my um, camping mat had a hole in it, so I was like sleeping on roots. And, and to top it all off, I got like one night, one hour of sleep the first night because there, ki- there was this pack of coyotes that just, they'd go away and then they'd come right by my tent. They were yipping and barking and howling, then they'd go away. And right before I was about to fall asleep, it happened again. So it was brutal. And... I was asking God, why is it, why is this one so tough? Usually I, you know, go on these prayer retreats and you come back just with a fresh sense of momentum, which is the goal of our life, that we live with a type of momentum. And it, there, I was just being drained and it was, it was tough. I said, and I just asked God, what are you trying to, what are you, what are you wanting to show me? Is there another example in, of, of people going through a, like a wildernessy type painful experience. I mean, I know this is just a couple days, but what can I learn from this? And I was joking around with God because he, he knows I have to do that every now and again. And I said, I feel like I'm like with Jesus, with the wild animals, with wild beasts. It's a reference when Jesus went into the, the wilderness to be tempted. He was surrounded by wild animals, Mark says in Mark 1.13. And Jesus told me there's lessons in the wilderness. 
There's things for you to learn. There's ways for you to be strengthened that you can't be in anywhere else. Now, this is just, you're camping. This isn't really wilderness. But there's things for you to learn here. I want to look at Luke chapter 4. And again, we're not, this isn't a sermon, so we're not sitting in one large extended passage. I'm just going to take you to several different passages today. But Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, is where Jesus is tempted three times. He's tempted in three different ways by Satan. And he responds to every temptation by quoting scripture and saying, I can't do that because this is what it says in the Bible. It's a really good reason for memorizing scripture, by the way. You should have a whole catalog of verses that you can use as ammunition against temptation. But I want to look at the end of that passage, Luke chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. This is after Jesus has went through the struggle of self-denial. That's where the battle's at, the struggle of denying himself from things that God had said was out of bounds in Scripture. So he denied himself all these ways, and then it says in Luke 4.13, And when the devil had ended every temptation, and every temptation was shot down by Jesus, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus, this is what I want you to pay attention to, returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Isn't it interesting that after Jesus went through the battle, the taxing battle of resisting temptation, that he was given a fresh surge of spiritual power. Now, if you've never experienced being empowered by God, it's like living with the wind at your back. In fact, the Holy Spirit is, is referred to, is symbolized by wind in Scripture. After a season of difficult self-denial through temptation, it becomes easier. The stretches become longer between the intense temptations. The fruit of the Spirit begins to happen and come out of you more naturally. You have more of a hunger for Scripture, more of a capacity to pray. When God empowers you for life, you have divine appointments and conversations with people where you know exactly what to say, how to answer their questions, how to lead it into a spiritual conversation. This is the real thing. This isn't something that's manufactured. It's not something that's fabricated by a hype man on Sunday morning. This is the real disease of Christianity, that life just begins to get easier even as your external circumstances seem to be more difficult. That's what it means to live with spiritual power. It means you sense the closeness, the nearness, the intimacy, the communion with the Father in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. God is manifested to you in a new way, in a fresh way. That's how you want to live. Matthew 4.11 gives us a little bit more insight as to how this happened. This is in your notes. It says, this is again after Jesus resisted Satan in the wilderness. It says, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. That's interesting. So after he denied himself, these angels, heavenly spirits, these, these angels, 
came and ministered to Jesus and strengthened him. Well, that tells us a couple things. First of all, it takes something out of you when you deny yourself from something that God has said is out of bounds. It takes a toll on you. It requires energy. It requires a certain amount of your own self-discipline blended with the power of the Spirit. Because when you're tempted, it creates an inner conflict. There's something that would be fun to do, pleasurable to do, but you're saying, that's out of bounds, I'm not allowed, I'm not, I'm not going to. By faith, I'm not going to do that. Because God says not to, I'm not going to do that. Now, the more that you give into and become fast and loose with temptation, give it into it, the more you become less, less and less a version of yourself. You become a... Th- you become a more anemic version of yourself, a weaker version of yourself. The, the fruit of the Spirit begins to dissipate from your life, and you, become to, you begin to experience the opposite of the fruit of Spirit. Instead of love, it's self-focused living. Joy, it's, you have the sense of darkness and hopelessness. Peace, you're, there's this inner angst that you experience when you give in to temptation. You become less you. Heaven is you become more and more you for all of eternity because the power of the Holy Spirit is flowing through you and with you in perfect harmony with all creation. Hell is you're becoming less and less. That's why in hell people don't have names. In heaven you're given a name, a new name. Jesus puts it on a white rock and hands it to you. That's your true identity. In hell you become less you. Temptation creates an inner conflict and it, it takes a toll. It taxes your system. The other thing we know uh, from angels having to come to minister to Jesus is somehow these angels were able to encourage and minister and strengthen Jesus in a way that's maybe a little bit hard to understand, in a way that we don't have a lot of details of exactly what they did or how they ministered to him. So it begs the question, though, do angels do that for us? Do angels minister to us? Do they serve us in similar ways that they served Jesus? The answer is, if you know, yes. Here's your next passage, Hebrews 1.14. You can just listen if you'd like. You can turn there. You can follow along in your notes. Hebrews 1.14, the NIV, I think, captures this a little better. It says, are, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So the answer is yes, yes. God actually sends angels, ministering spirits there as angels. He sends angels across the globe to strengthen and encourage and minister and serve believers. And they do that in a variety of ways. And it would be interesting sometime to do a, a sermon series on what do angels do exactly, because it's fascinating. It's very fascinating. But we know that one thing they do is encourage and strengthen us. And I think, particularly after temptation, I think with the, the pattern is we see the pattern in Jesus and we experience the same thing. When, when it says in Hebrews 114 that the ministering spirits are sent to serve that sent forth there in Greek that's a present participle and so it means being sent forth continually now there's things in the Bible that you listen to someone say it in a message and it's like oh that's really cool but if you actually thought about that if you believed with every fiber of your being that God is sending angels continually in this place into your life into your home into into your neighborhoods 
to serve you in a variety of ways, that you would be pretty encouraged by that. And half of growing in Christianity is starting to actually believe what you say you believe. That's real. God is perpetually sending angels to serve, to encourage, to strengthen, to minister to us. But not just angels. God himself, after we deny ourselves, after we endure temptation, God himself strengthens us. I want you to turn to 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, or you can just listen along. I'm going to go over here and get my Bible. If you don't, this isn't too awkward. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Tyler Howe, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Always wanted to say that. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Now, we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. I'm going to remind you of some things that are true about this passage. But this is a good one. This is a good one to memorize. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, be sober-minded. You know how many times the Bible says be watchful, be sober-minded? Half our job is to pay attention. What's going on in me? How am I responding to temptations around me? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, means we do have a real enemy. We do have an adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, last time we talked about this passage, I told you that when, when a lion is hunting and he sees a pack of animals and he roars, you, you don't hear it first, you feel it first. The roar of the lion is meant to make your insides vibrate. It's visceral. When a lion approaches a pack of animals and it roars, the ground feels like it's shaking. And his goal is that one of the animals in this hunting scenario gets spooked and runs off on its own away from the herd. And then he's got him. Because once the animal is isolated because he's been spooked, he's in trouble. He's got, he's got no protection now. So part of God's desire, part of God, or part of Satan's desire for us is to spook us and to make us lose our cool and just give in to whatever temptation it is, to give in to anxiety. And God's desire is that just hold firm, hold still. Don't react to temptation. And verse 9, resist him. Resist the lion, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. That's actually really encouraging that you know that other brothers, other sisters, other friends, other believers are also in the battle with you. They're struggling with you. Um, I, was, I was listening to a, a, a new friend talk about 75 hard. You guys heard of that? That's an amazing thing, and I learned about it this past week and, um, or two weeks ago. And it's this crazy thing where you do really, really hard things for 75 days. There's like two 45-minute workouts a day. You have to do one of them outside. You have to read 10 pages. I mean, there's a whole list of things that you have to do for the 75 hard thing. And if I was doing, I'm not going to do that because I'm not as cool as that guy. But if I was going to do that, I would be encouraged that there's other people that are doing it. There's other people in this 
75 hard battle. Just knowing that other people are experiencing it is enough. That's an encouraging thing. That's what it's saying. Firm in your faith. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. And after, this is the important part, after you've suffered a little while, the suffering of self-denial, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When you fight against your flesh, which is where the fight is, and you say, I'm going to obey God whatever it costs me, trusting that whatever joy is ahead of me is far better than the temporary pleasure I get from not denying myself. When you do that, God comes in later and says, I'm going to make you bigger on the inside. I'm going to make you stronger so that it's going to take a lot more to tempt you next time. And I'm going to give you more spiritual power. I'm going to give you more joy and more peace. I'm going to manifest my presence through your life in greater and greater degrees the more you deny yourself. The goal, as my spiritual director says, is to become the type of person that God can trust with power. Doesn't feel like there's a lot of people like that in the world today, does it? What if, what if Southside was a place where people become the type of people that God can trust with power? Because we don't misuse it. We don't, mis- we don't use it for our own good. We've learned how to deny ourselves. We use it to love and serve others. And so God's free to give us more power. So how do we grow in our capacity to deny ourselves in order to live more wholeheartedly for God? I'm going to give you just a bunch of applications. The first thing is, oh, I have fill in the blanks this week. Isn't that neat? You guys have fill in blanks, right? That did print right? All right. So here's your first. Anyone want to guess what the first fill in the blank is? Pray. Who said it? Did Nicole say it? Nice. Nice, Nicole. Um, Pray that you would not enter into temptation. That's the first thing. When Jesus went to Gethsemane with the disciples, he told them ahead of time, pray so that you don't enter into temptation. This is Luke 22, 40 in your notes. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He went away and prayed. He came back and they were asleep. And Luke 22, 45 through 46, a few verses later, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. You know what that means? They were so depressed, they just wanted to go to bed. You ever feel that way? He found them sleeping. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Your body is weak. Your spirit is strong. And one of the ways that you transfer strength and power from the spirit to the body is prayer. That's what Jesus said. Pray that you don't enter into temptation because then it's not just your willpower alone. God is getting involved. God is lending strength. You can't beat temptation on your own. Are you kidding me? None of you can. Nobody in this room can beat temptation, can resist temptation in your own strength. I don't care how many 
little rubber bands that you, you wear and snap yourself every time you give it. You can't do it. You can't win. It's too strong. You need God. That's why we start with prayer. God, enter into this temptation. I'm feeling this, and I need your power to gut through it. Get me a, show me the way out quickly. Number two, pray preventatively before you are in the midst of temptation. So it's a good idea to start your day with the Lord's Prayer because in the Lord's Prayer is built in this request that God would lead you not in temptation. So pray preventatively. The blank is before you are in the midst of temptation. Matthew 6.13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, can you just make sure you don't put me in a situation that's going to be too tempting for me? Can you just lead me away from those things? Can you give me a desire to glorify you with my life? Can you give me a desire to have a pure heart today, to have integrity, to live well and wisely with a loving heart? Help me to avoid temptation as much as possible. It's a good prayer. Jesus said we could pray. Why not? Why live on our own resources when God wants to help? Number three, remember, God won't let any temptation overpower you. God won't let any temptation overpower you. Look for the way out. This is important. As early in the temptation process as possible. God will always provide this. The longer you allow the temptation to linger, the more intense the temptation. Temptations grow in intensity and force and power over time. The longer you let this idea, whatever temptation it is, linger in your mind, the stronger a grip it has on you. That's why as soon as you can, as soon as it comes to mind, cut it off. Because the longer it's there, the more power it has over you. But at any point in the temptation, God makes a way out. He makes a way out. He'll always show you a way out. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So you're not the only person being tempted that way. Every temptation has been experienced by a million people, a billion people. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. it. That's a promise. There's no situation you'll ever be in that you can't deny yourself the temptation. Never. It will never overpower you. It doesn't have to. You don't have to let it. And there'll never be a situation where you can't get out of it. There's never a situation where there's nothing right I can do. There's always something right you can do. Always. And I'll help you with that. Because there are some tricky situations. But the best thing is to do the right thing, to do the thing that you know is right, no matter what, and start walking with Jesus that way, and he'll, he'll sort out the rest. He'll untangle the rest as you start doing what you know to be right. Number four, talk with Jesus about it. He can help. Hebrews 2.18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He's, he's been there. He was tempted in every way and was without sin. If you want to talk with someone who's been tempted in every way and never never slipped, Jesus is the one. Have a conversation with him. The better your conversational prayer life with Jesus throughout the day, the the more power you have to resist temptation. Number five, does anyone want to guess what that is? Blank exercises our self-denial muscles. Anybody want to guess? Who said it? Did you say it? Nice job. Oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. Fasting 
Maybe you should come up here and explain what that is. <laughs> Fasting, that's exactly right. Exercises our self-denial muscles. I've said it a million times because someone told me this, they're so right, nothing shakes the system up more than fasting from food. Nothing brings me to the point of the breaking point of my sanctification, my growth in Christ, like fasting from food. It makes me a toddler, spiritually speaking. It is one of the most difficult things for me to do. For some reason, it is just painful. I'm like... I'm sure God's like, my goodness, Greg, you are whining a lot today. But I, it's difficult for me. And it exercises our muscles to deny ourselves because you are saying, body, you're not in charge. My agenda isn't more important than God's agenda. I'm saying no to the desire to eat. I'm saying no to be, being nourished physically speaking, so that I can be nourished spiritually speaking. Nothing shakes the system more than that. Nothing. It exercises your self-denial, your self-control muscles. All right, number six. Nice, nice, nice call. Number six is confess to one another. That's why we have discipleship pods. Discipleship pods are places where you grow comfortable enough with someone to start being honest. You have to be in intentional conversations for a couple of years before you start talking about the real stuff. Discipleship pods are a training ground. There's what, they're what we do here at Southside where Alex uh, launched this beautiful ministry, very impactful ministry, where you are with two to four to five sometimes uh, other people, and you're learning how to, how to have spiritual conversations. You're learning how to talk about real stuff. Now, some of these pods... You, you talk a lot sooner about the real stuff than others, but some of them, like you might need a couple years having intentional conversation every other week with the same group of same gender people before you're comfortable enough to say, this is what I'm actually struggling with. Confess to one another. There's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of force when you open it up. Sin does better in the darkness. When you bring it to light, it loses strength. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. All right, and when you do, this is the last number seven. It has an A, B, and C, so it's kind of the last. When you do give in to temptation, A, confess to the Father and receive mercy and grace. You're going to want to stay away from God. You're not going to want to pray. You're not going to want to talk with other believers. You're not going to want to go to church. You're not going to want to go to discipleship pod. You're not going to want to go to hospitality night. You're not going to go to, you're not going to want to do anything having to do with God because you feel shame and you don't have to. There's no condemnation in Christ. That's what Romans 8.1 says. Mercy and grace. You know the difference? We had a friend in Wadsworth who was, uh, his name was Titus, Titus Shears. What a guy. He taught me about mercy and grace by an example that he did with his sons. And then I did the same thing with my daughters in a different way. He said, one time, one of my sons, they're all great now, they're amazing. One of my sons did something really stupid. And he needed to be punished. He needed to be disciplined for it. And he knew it. He knew he was caught. So we sit down in the living room. And he says, son, you deserve to be grounded for six weeks. And his son was like, yeah, I probably do. 
Yeah, I get it. That's when, does anyone still ground anymore? It, it used to work. And when you put someone in their room, they had nothing to do and they were really bored and they stopped messing up. So he said, you, you should be grounded for six weeks. And he said, but you're not going to get grounded. I'm not grounding you. That's mercy. And then he said, come with me. And he gets in the car and they drive to the they drive to Dairy Queen or whatever, and he gets him his favorite Sunday. And he says, Here's your favorite Sunday. That's grace. That's grace. Mercy is God not giving you the punishment that you deserve. Grace is giving you everything you don't deserve. Grace is a person and a power. It's the Holy Spirit, but it's also a power. Grace is something that enables us to resist more and more harder and harder temptations. So you go to God and you say, I messed up, have mercy on me, and he's glad to. And then you say, give me grace for the next one, and he's glad to. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you become a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, everything that you've ever done and everything that you ever will do in the future, that's a sin, has been paid for by Christ on the cross. And if you can't forgive yourself for that, then you're saying that what Jesus did wasn't enough. And don't do that. He paid enough of a price for all of us. So confess your sin and receive mercy and receive grace. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. B, ignore the condemning voice of God's enemy. Again, there's only one voice in the universe whose sole job is to accuse you and condemn you, and that's Satan. Ignore his voice. Romans 8, 33-35. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody. Do you know Jesus is praying for you? Do you know the Holy Spirit is praying for you? That was something that changed my life when I realized that Jesus is in heaven interceding for me. You too. Finally, see. Remind yourself that nothing can separate you from his love. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The way to real power is through your weakness. The way to increase in spiritual power is to deny yourself all the ways that you want to try living by your own rules. All the ways that you're tempted to do things that give you a momentary happiness but end up leading to death, end up leading to greater separation from God. If you learn, if you train yourself in the way of denying yourself of taking those paths, you will be strengthened by the angels, by God himself. You'll become bigger on the inside. You'll become more 
fruitful and fulfilled and more powerful, you'll have a life of momentum. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.